following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. of the Lamb is to be made into a new creature, someone of immense beauty, someone whose heart is filled with joy, someone who walks daily in the presence of Almighty God, someone who has repented of their sins and is free and no longer walks in them. is the beauty of true conversion. 
your current experience in Jesus? Or are you still walking in the degradation, the darkness, the emptiness of sin? Maurice Rubin was a Jewish man. He was the manager of one of the largest department stores in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He was very wealthy. This Jewish man, he lived to make money. That was the joy of his heart. He was the manager of Solomon and Reuben, a very highly respected department store. But one of his buyers constantly put him under deep conviction. One day he said to him, You must have been born happy. Yes, replied the buyer, in my second birth I accepted the Lord Jesus Christ and was born of God. In my first birth I was no happier than you are. Reuben was so moved by this testimony that he went out to a bookstore and bought a New Testament. And there he began to read the story of Jesus for the first time. He was immediately impressed with the fact that all of those who followed Jesus were Jewish. John the Baptist, pointing to him as the Lamb of God, Peter, James, John, the chief disciples, and the Savior himself was Jewish. He said, On this rock I will build my church. And then he came to the story of the rich young ruler. It was a dramatic moment. A rich Jew of the 20th century, under conviction, reading of the Savior's dealing with a rich, a rich Jew of the 1st century, now, the way that Reuben saw it was that if Jesus had told this young man to sell all and to inherit eternal life, how could he, Reuben, inherit the same gift unless on the same condition? It was his supreme test. If he became a disciple, he knew that he too stood to lose everything but it was too late to go back. He had seen it. And he must have it. And he must follow this Jesus. As Reuben said those words, he had to face fairly and squarely and count the cost. His wife might leave him, his brother might put him out of the business and he might not have a single Jew who would follow him or accept him. But he had made up his mind even if it meant losing everything he meant to do it. Then one day on the way to the store Reuben heard a voice repeating to him the words I am the way the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father 
but by me. John 14.6 The truth suddenly flashed upon him in a in a second, and he accepted Jesus and entered into life at that very moment. He then immediately told his brother and others, but according to his father's will, he was to forfeit every penny if he changed his religion. Now his brother offered to give him 70,000 pounds, his share of the business. In other words, his brother offered to buy him out if he would cross the United States of America and retire in Montana. But Reuben replied, I've had the light of Jesus in Pittsburgh, and I must witness in Pittsburgh. Late that Saturday night, detectives came to his home and took him to the police station. On Monday, two doctors visited his cell and asked him about the voice he had heard. Do they question my sanity, he thought? Two hours later, wardens came from the asylum and took him to a room where there were 29 mentally deranged people. The bitterness of Reese's position overcame him He'd had victory in the lockup, but this seemed more than he could bear, so he fell on his knees by his bed and he poured out his heart to the Lord. He didn't know how long he was there. He was lost in his prayer when a vision of Calvary appeared to him. He said he witnessed every stage of the crucifixion, he forgot his own sufferings in the sufferings of his Savior, and as he gazed on the cross, the Master himself said to him, And must I bear the cross alone, and all the world go free? And from a broken heart, Reese answered, No, there's a cross for everyone, and there's a cross for me. From that hour, he was a new man. Instead of complaining at being in the asylum, he began to pray for the other twenty-nine. And to the Savior he said, Let me suffer for you, whatever you allow me to go through. I will never complain again. He was there for two weeks. When Reuben's brother came to see him, and reproached him for his folly in getting himself into such a place. Why don't you be wise, he said. Get out of here. Go to Montana. Does the offer still stand? Then it's not a medical condition, but something else that is keeping me here, said Reuben, with all the keenness of his logical mind. Now some Christian friends he'd been in touch with, approached the court and began inquiries. It took six weeks. He was released, but it became a court case, and the test was on the voice. 
the judge called the doctor and asked why this man had been certified as insane. Well, because he heard a voice, said the doctor. Well, didn't the apostle Paul hear a voice, countered the judge, who was a serious Christian man? This is a disgrace to the American flag, and he told Reuben to prosecute anyone who had anything to do with this. Reuben answered, I shall never prosecute anyone, but I will do one thing. I will pray for them. He crossed the court and offered his hand to his brother, but his brother turned his back on him. He then went to his wife. She did the same. But what a victory he had in his own soul. Maurice rented a small room in Chicago where he lived alone with the Lord, and there he won many converts, though for two years he hardly had a square meal. A year later his wife came to hear him preach at a camp meeting, and she was converted. For the first time he saw his baby boy, who'd been born after his wife had left him. She said she was willing to make her home with him now, if only he would earn a living as other Christians did. His heart went out to his little boy. This test was even greater than the first. Her request seemed so reasonable, but he knew that the Lord had called him from the world into this life of faith. He pleaded with the Lord, but the only reply he received was, Back to Egypt? <laughs> it was enough. Once more, Reuben embraced the cross of Jesus. He went to see his wife and child off. It was a costly experience, but as the train steamed out of the station, it seemed that God poured the joy of heaven into his soul. He literally danced on the platform. He did not see his wife for another three years. Then, in another camp meeting, she too received the revelation of the cross. As a result of this, she testified that whereas before as a believer she had not been willing to share the sacrificial life of her husband, if it would be for God's glory, she would now be willing to beg her bread from door to door. They were reunited. She became a wonderful co-worker with him in his ministry. That story is from Reese Howells, the intercessor. Reese Howells was deeply convicted by this story. He had come to America, to Connellsville, Pennsylvania, a place I'm very familiar with, having been there many times. He worked in a mine, and he made good money. When he listened to this testimony by Reuben, he was deeply convicted that he must too receive Jesus Christ. And he too must repent of his sin 
and he too must be converted. And in a moment, he too saw the cross of Jesus Christ. He saw the crucified Christ. And he knew that he'd been crucified for his sin. And he repented. He repented for his love of money, for his ambition, for his refusal to take up the cross and follow Jesus. And in that moment, he said he was changed. He became a new man. He said now, he looked around him and everything seemed so ugly, so rough, so hard. For the first time, he saw the world for what it was, a place of ugly desperation. He saw the world as, as raw. He saw the world as darkness. And he saw Jesus as the most beautiful person he had ever seen. He saw the refinement of our Savior. He saw the glory of being converted. He saw the glory of walking in the fullness of Jesus Christ. And his heart went out to Jesus. And he immediately made plans to return to Wales and to his home. And as the Lord would have it, as he arrived in Wales, the Welsh revival was just coming to a close. And he immediately, while yes, going to the face of the mind, the hardest place, every night he ministered in homes and shared the glory of Jesus Christ and him crucified. He saw the beauty of Jesus and suddenly in this Welsh revival men and women came flocking to him because they wanted the same view of Jesus Christ. Have you seen the crucifixion of Jesus? It is on one hand the most heart-wrenching thing a man can ever see, and on the other hand it is the most beautiful thing that a man could possibly view. Because he died there for my sins. He died there for your sin. He did not die to leave you in your sin. He died to free you, to convert you, to change you in a moment from a wicked sinner, even a religious wicked sinner, into a person of glorious victory who finally, in the beauty of Jesus, is totally changed and the sin is gone and the victory is won. Please, I'm not insane. <laughs> Please, I'm not speaking fantasy or fantasia. I'm speaking reality to you today. Will you repent of your sin? Will you 
turn aside from all cultural religion? Will you turn to Jesus in his crucifixion and see him crucified for you? Will you weep before that cross and deal to the very bottom of your heart with everything that rises up in rebellion against Jesus Christ? Will you serve Jesus even if it costs you everything? Will you serve Jesus if it costs you your job? If you become homeless? Will you serve Jesus if your friends deny you and denounce you? Will you serve Jesus if your family turns their back and curses you and calls you insane? Will you serve Jesus Christ and walk in the way of the cross? Will you let Jesus give you a new birth? What is a new birth? Jesus, talking with Nicodemus, said that it was being born from above. What do I mean? I mean that Jesus supernaturally comes to you as you repent of your sins and you see the ugliness of your fake religion. You see the ugliness of the way you treat other people. You see the ugliness of your judgments. You see the ugliness of how you speak to others and what you think of others and how you go after for yourself what your selfish heart desires. You see the cross. And Jesus comes. And he forgives you. He removes your sin. This is not a long process. This is instant conversion. Oh, now you'll grow for years. The rest of your time alive, you'll be growing in Jesus. But what a glorious growing you will do as you walk out total dependence on Jesus and allow him to have control of every part of your heart and your life, not taking anything back for yourself. Trusting in Jesus. What beautiful glory. Jesus in Matthew, the, the 13th chapter, tells a parable. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field. What is the kingdom of heaven? It is the divine authority of God being exercised over your life. That's what we're speaking about here. Don't get this mixed up with something in the future. Don't get this mixed up with the second coming of Jesus in glory and power. No, this is right now. This is current. He is saying, what is it like to have the authority of God being exercised over your heart and over your life? What is it like to begin to follow Jesus and turn aside from the wickedness of your own heart? He said it's like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. 
I grew up farming. My dad would drive that beautiful farm all tractor, plowing deep furrows in dark brown, wonderful country soil. I often would walk behind him in that newly plowed soil. But once in a while, he would hit a rock and it would bounce the plow up out of the furrow. Now, how we missed it from last year, I don't know. But that rock had to be removed, and so I would, with my shovel, begin to dig around that rock until finally it was uncovered, and if it was too big for me alone, Dad would get off the tractor and come help me, and we would move that rock to the side of the field. Well, this man no doubt was plowing the field that he had rented. It wasn't his property. It was a rented field. And as he is plowing, his plow catches. And he goes back with his shovel and he begins to dig out what that rock is that his plow has hit. But instead of a rock, he finds it is a treasure chest full of gold incredible wealth but he knows it does not belong to him so he buries it again in the field and now in his great joy in his excitement he runs home he tells his precious wife we must sell everything we have we must buy the field now can you imagine what she was saying to him husband have you lost your mind Why are we going to buy a field when we won't have a house to live in? How can you sell our furnishings? Quickly the man pulls everything out. He begins to sell everything he can sell. He must raise the money. He sold everything he had. I suspect he even sold his clothing. His wife must have been beside herself, crying, weeping. Husband, how can you do this? You're going to cause us to be lost and homeless. Oh, no, not at all. Because when he'd sold all that he had, he went to the owner of the property, and he bought that field. (laughs) And then he went and dug up the treasure and it now belonged to he and his wife. And they were made incredibly wealthy. Jesus says that this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. That you're going to have to go out and sell everything you have to buy this kingdom of heaven ruling over you. How do you sell everything you have? Well, you lay it all down at the feet of Jesus and you repent for every sin. You repent for every selfish part of your heart. You utterly give yourself up. You sell all that you have. You hold nothing back from Jesus. And then you have the treasure. And when you have the treasure... 
you have the royal authority of God now being exercised over your life. And Jesus is saying that this is worth selling everything you have. That there is nothing that compares to this joy. Have you sold all that you have for the kingdom of heaven? Or do you have parts of your life that you've held back for yourself? Have you held back your Friday night from Jesus? Is that the night you go to play cards and gamble? Have you held back certain activities from Jesus? Have you held back your love of sports? Have you held back from Jesus? Time, energy, money? Or have you all laid it at the altar of burnt offering? There is nothing in America so desperately needed today that America would be converted once more. That we would be turned around. We would be turned away from the wickedness of the American heart. There's nothing so needed that you should repent fully and completely that you should give everything in your life into the hand of Jesus Christ, that you should ask for the divine authority of the kingdom of heaven to be functioning over your heart and over your life, that you will make no decision, you will make no choices, you will go nowhere unless you know that Jesus Christ would be pleased. Have you seen the cross of Jesus Christ? Now, some would say that this is a sad process. I would argue this is the most joyful thing a man or a woman can engage in. When you see what Jesus Christ is offering you, joy fills your heart. The only reason you would have any reservation is fearing that God will ask you to give too much. That he will ask you to endure the shame of the cross. We say, I'll go this far, but no further. Don't ask me. Don't ask me. Don't ask me. No, I won't do it until you remain in your chains and you lose the joy of your salvation and the prayer closet closes in around you it becomes tighter and tighter until finally there's not even any room for you to go to the prayer closet anymore so now you just shoot prayers toward heaven as you think you need the advantage God might grant you how ugly how ungodly how gross My life is not my own. I was bought at a price. That's what the scripture says. Let me turn to that passage. I want you to understand your life is not your own. 
you were bought at a price. You don't belong to yourself. And many of you have stolen yourself from Jesus. Are you a thief? Have you stolen yourself from Jesus and pretended that you belong to yourself? That you can just go about your life? You're a thief. You're a robber. Let me read it for you. 1 Corinthians, the sixth chapter. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two shall become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality and all other sins a man commits. They are outside of his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Now, when we look at 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. If you are not in Christ, you are not a new creation. And if you are not a new creation, you are not in Christ. If you want to experience the beauty of true conversion, you must be brought into Jesus Christ, and all sin must be confessed. The old has gone, the new has come. And again, reviewing yesterday, that word new means literally, in the Greek, it has never previously existed. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What does reconciliation mean? Well, when I balance my checkbook, it means that the bank and I agree on how much money is in the checkbook. We call that a reconciliation. When I am reconciled with God, I am in full agreement with God about the beauty of having been changed and made into a new creature. If you have not been made into a new person, if you are still walking in your sin, you have not been reconciled to Jesus Christ. It says, verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. 
We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As through God, we're making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be a sin offering for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. To be made, God made him who had no sin. Generator. The Greek word is the word from which we get the generator. And when Christ comes into us, he generates in us a whole new life. I urge you today, do not receive Christ in vain. Do not receive God's grace in vain, but rather turn to him with all of your heart. Seek after him. Run after him. He says in verse 17, this is the sixth chapter, verse 17, therefore come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. You see, the world is incredibly wicked and evil. Every unclean thing is done and practiced Every injustice flows from the heart of man. Murder, vile words, bitterness of heart. Every unclean thing flows in the world. And Jesus is giving us an opportunity to come out of all of that wickedness. To ask for the royal authority of God to reign over us, for the kingdom of heaven to exercise authority over us, that we would be removed from the wickedness of this world and choose to be separate, that we might live in joy and gladness. Verse 14, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? What fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Balal or the devil? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and I will walk among them and I will be their God. And they will be my people. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I will be a father to you. And you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. 
Now, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. In other words, he's saying, you don't need to walk any longer in the wicked deadness of your old life. (laughs) You can buy that field and that treasure can be yours and you can experience the joy of being wealthy in Jesus Christ and having every blessing of heaven attending you, dressing you in clean clothes, setting your feet on a path of service and majesty with Jesus Christ. That's what this broadcast is all about, Pilgrim's Progress, walking that narrow path of beauty and glory, of peace, of happiness. walking toward heaven, attended by the angels, with the presence of Jesus rich in our hearts. This is the beauty of conversion, changed in a moment, transformed, metamorphosed, being made new. The old has gone and the new has come. Is this your current experience? Is this how you're walking with Jesus Christ? Now, in chapter 7, he says, When we came to Macedonia, this body of ours had no rest. We were harassed on every side, conflicts on the outside and fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you have given him. That is, he was comforted by the financial support that believers gave him that enabled him to continue walking in ministry. I can tell you yesterday my heart was comforted. Two of you, touch that button, donate, on the webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. Two of you sent offerings to help cover this month's radio bill. I was ecstatic. I rejoiced in your giving. Not in the amounts. That isn't really the issue, is it? It's that brothers and sisters are standing with me. (laughs) And my heart was encouraged. You see, this walk with Jesus sometimes becomes very lonely. Sometimes there is sorrow on this journey. But always in the sorrow, with the conflicts on the outside and fear on the inside, Jesus will come and comfort the downcast. Because now, do you understand? You don't walk alone. You walk with Jesus. And he comes with kind encouragement he comes with mercy and kindness he comes and meets us where we are and he says to us very sweetly I will never leave you nor forsake you 
my unfailing love will sustain you on the journey. Frankly, I can't think of anything more exciting that I've ever seen in my life than being converted and following Jesus Christ. It has been an awesome journey. Someone told me, I think it was Annie Dillard in her book, she wrote, Put your crash helmet on and buckle up. You're in for a ride. She was right. I've been in for a ride. And every step of the way Jesus has walked with me, he has corrected me, he has comforted me, he has spoken words of great wisdom. Sometimes I've not listened attentively to what he has said, and I've gotten myself in a great deal of hot water. But always as I have come back and humbled my heart before him and repented. And yes, after we're converted, there may be times when we will sin against the Lord. He doesn't make us. He doesn't want us to. He's provided everything that we need not sin. But First John, the first chapter, tells us we have an advocate with the Father. And he will forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all impurities so we don't ever go back to that sin again. You see, this is a sane walk. It is a walk of integrity. It is a walk of courage and strength. It is a walk of reading the scriptures and prayer. It is a walk of sacrificing everything on the altar for Jesus Christ. It is a journey. It is following the narrow path up the difficult hill and down into the bottom land. It is a journey that will take us through the valley of the shadow of death where we think we will not survive it. But the glory of Jesus comes and encourages our hearts and carries us through. You see, I'm not talking about panacea. I'm talking about a very real journey. I'm talking about a journey with Jesus Christ. And what enables me to take this journey is a clear view, first of the crucified Christ, and then another clear view of the risen Christ, the resurrected Christ. See, there's a crucifixion that we must endure. But we are pulled through the cross, through the darkness and the despair, and we're pulled through to the other side. The story of Maurice Rubin, sitting in that asylum for six weeks with 29 other insane people when he gained the victory it was all joy until finally he was released and he could become the preacher God had called him to be proclaiming the love of Jesus Christ 
and calling men and women to be converted like he had been converted. Now some of you have thought conversion is the work of a lifetime. No, it's not. Some of you think you have to work out of your sin and you have this to struggle with and then you have that to struggle with and you have a whole list of sins and you have to overcome them one by one. No, you don't. No, you don't. When you're converted, you come to Jesus and you bring the whole mess before him. You confess the details of every part of that mess. And then in deep conviction of heart, you do what Maurice did. And you say, Lord Jesus, would you come into my heart? Would you come in and take authority and exercise your divine authority of your kingdom over my life? And he was set free. He was released from his captivity to sin. He now was made righteous as a gift of faith, not by works. Oh, the church today is so lost in its ugly legalism and works. We want everybody to come to the seminar and learn the principles. And if you can just get these principles down, you're going to have a happy life. No, you're not. We don't live by principles. We live by the Holy Spirit. We confess our sin. We reject the way of wickedness. We say, Jesus, I belong to you. I will touch no unclean thing. I will, I will come out. Will you receive me? And he says, yes, I'll receive you. Come out. Be separate. Don't walk this way anymore. Cut it off. I know a man who, year after year, wept over his alcoholism could never gain the victory. Why? Because he loves his alcohol. He refuses to humble his heart before God and do what the Holy Spirit tells him to do. But he calls himself a saved man. He's no more saved than the pagan on the street is saved. That's not conversion. When a man is converted, he's changed. He's made new. It's not the same old life. Have you been converted? You may be calling yourself a Christian, but do you need to repent? Once and for all, not over and over for the same sin, but to get rid of that sin by the powerful blood of Jesus Christ and walk in the newness and beauty of life to have the joy of salvation as your constant companion in Jesus. <laughs> Lord Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters today. I know there are such lies about what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be born again. Lord, I'm asking, would you come now in power and reveal to each person listening to this broadcast the absolute beauty of the cross 
and the resurrection. And would you cause my brothers and sisters to be willing to go through that crucifixion and repent of their sin? In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Would you go to the donate button on our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com? Would you give as the Lord calls you to give? Or would you simply mail that check, cash, or money order to the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195? We're going through a very exciting and interesting time at the National Prayer Chapel as we refocus our whole energy back on the original place we started, which is revival and repentance and immediately turning from our sin. As we walk through this refocusing, would you remember and pray for us? My brother, my sister, I've shared the gospel of Jesus with you today, for everything I've been telling you about conversion is called the gospel, the good news of Jesus. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Blameless before the presence of.